And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. For a moment on Wednesday night, Newcastle United dead to dream. Pulled back by Miley Jolinton! Oh, dear me. But their dreams of Champions League progress ended in failure as AC Milan mounted a second half comeback to knock Eddie Howe's men out of Europe. Played on here! Oh, it's a goal! It's Chukwesi off the bench! And it could be a heartbreaker in Europe for Newcastle! Newcastle's focus will now be to get back into the competition via the Premier League despite missing key players due to injury and Sandro Tonali, the player they signed from AC Milan, suspended till next season. So, coming up, why did Newcastle's European campaign fail? What's happening with Tonali? And what room for manoeuvre did they have in January? I'm Ayoakim Mulare. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Alongside me for this, we have the Athletics Newcastle United writer, Chris Woff, and also our Italian football writer, James Horncastle. Right, Chris, what is the reaction after what has been a roller coaster of a Champions League campaign for Newcastle? Well, I think that everyone associated with Newcastle United is still trying to digest what has happened. It was for, for so long during the I mean, they started the campaign obviously so well, beat PSG in that famous night. And at, at that point, all possibilities seemed endless, really. It seemed they could go and win the group, win the so-called group of death. Win the tournament. Win the tournament, yeah. <laughs> no, James Lassiter, it felt like teams would come to St. James's Park and the energy that was there, how how could any team compete with that? But they had a sucker punch of two of back-to-back defeats against Dortmund, where really they were schooled a little bit in the Champions League. They then go to Paris and they're on course for another famous victory. It's it, the second half. It's backs against the wall. PSG have chance after chance. Don't take them. That controversial penalty. But then still, even even after that late equaliser, Newcastle have still... Their destiny isn't in their own hands, but if they win, and then PSG have to go to Dortmund and win. And then during the match itself last night, you have things coming through. Dortmund have scored. Wow, this is possible. PSG have equalised. PSG have, sco- have got taken the lead. That's being cancelled. It was just every single... It was the, the cliched roller coaster of emotions all the way through the game last night. And I, still, I don't think anyone is still fully processed that. I think the fact that at one stage... Newcastle were going through to the last 16 and then obviously they've ended with nothing. I think that's why it's so, so difficult. There's pride in what Newcastle have achieved, but also just utter devastation, really, that actually it turned out that they did finish the fourth seed in the group as they were initially. James, let's go to AC Milan and you think last year's semi-finalists, but also two of their summer signings are the ones that actually kept them in Europe as well, Chukwesi and Pulisic. Yeah, uh, Pulisic, who had a really good start to the season and then got injured about six weeks ago and has just been kind of slowly coming back, scored a big goal, which, to be honest, it was quite fortunate how that goal came about. I imagine that is a moment of regret for Newcastle fans as well because it's quite an untidy goal until Giroud basically shows the presence of mind to pick out 
Pulisic in what was a bit of a goalmouth scramble. And then I did think Newcastle are going to tire here because of the fact that they only had seven players on the bench. Some of those players were just coming back. The fact that they've had to rely on the same group of players all the time for the last five games. And Milan have these quick wingers that they could bring off the bench, Okafor and Chukweze. I did think it could go either way at that moment, whether it was it was a all-or-nothing move from Pioli. You know, I've seen this season where they've gone that way and it's backfired. I did that against Inter in the, in the derby. They went all guns blazing and ended up losing 5-1. And I thought maybe this is a chance for Newcastle to actually catch them. And instead, Milan were able to break on them a couple of times, were unlucky. You know, Tomori hit the post, Leao hit the post, but then they got it done. Yeah, it was just as as Chris was saying, a roller coaster of emotions for for Milan as well, because you know I think they went into that game with maybe a ten percent chance of qualifying, and they went behind, they come back, they get in front, and you know I mean it was funny watching the Milan sideline, the, the coaching staff showing purely their phones to say, look, this is the score in the other <laughs> game, and like I'm pretty sure like the XG for PSG in Dortmund was something like you know like three four or something because of the number of chances but Dortmund looked like they might go on and win that game even though they had already qualified and if Dortmund had scored Milan would have gone through so like it was it was again just a chaotic night I feel like this is why we love football for storylines like this not for Newcastle obviously the losing team but it, this is why people stay glued to their seats for the Champions League and in that vein you know you're, you're, you're playing against the, the, the best of the best in Europe and you know as we saw last night mistakes will get punished. Newcastle haven't played in the Champions League for 20 years. Chris, is there a sense, and I just thinking about this when I was watching the match, that obviously what happened last season was so amazing and, you know, to the point in which Newcastle are now playing, were now playing Champions League football, they haven't sort of got to grips with the rhythm of playing European football, you know, like perhaps, you know, a Europa League venture would have been great before the Champions League came a, a, along, you know, when Newcastle maybe punching above their weight. Well, I think supporters are sort of split as to whether it would have been in Newcastle's benefit to have finished third and gone into the Europa League, given how stretched they are injury-wise and given the slog of Thursday-Sunday football, or whether they are better being out of Europe entirely and try and get back in the Champions League for next season. I think it would have been Newcastle's benefit because I agree. I think they need to learn more as to how to play in Europe, how to manage the the sort of matches and the, the increased volume of them before they make the then step up to the Champions League, which is obviously elite level because Eddie Howe had never managed this, this level before the majority of the squad had not played at this level before and I think if you look through the group I spoke to Dan Byrne after the match last night and he was he he said this was the group that we wanted because we haven't been in for so long we wanted those huge matches and that was right and loads of Newcastle supporters embraced that but equally because they had elite European performers in there who knew how to play these the key moments have gone against Newcastle. And that, I think, largely is down to experience and know-how. You look at both Dortmund games. Dortmund, I didn't think, were brilliant in either match, but they took their moments at the right time and they managed to nullify Newcastle. AC Milan last night, for an hour, Newcastle were totally on top. But when the game shifted, when the momentum shifted, they took the big moments. Mannion makes an absolute a save which probably defined that entire group at that stage. If, if Gimaraes had scored, Newcastle, I think, would have gone on and won. But he makes a save. Milan go up the other end, have a few chances, take one of them, 
eventually. PSG, the same at home, Newcastle thrashed them, but then didn't really build on that. And but I do think that there are mitigating circumstances there. The injury list is is huge, but beyond just the fact that they have so many injuries. They've been deprived of probably their two big summer signings, the ones who were meant to make the difference in the Champions League. Obviously, Sandro Tonali suspended uh, for, for 10 months as part of the betting scandal in Italy. He's not played the second half of the Champions League group. And Harvey Barnes was the other big money signing in the summer, and he's been injured. So the players he who started were meant to... so well as well, didn't he, for Newcastle, Harvey Barnes? Exactly. And so those players who are meant to make a difference in those key moments, they haven't had them. So it's been largely the same squad as last season, but even more depleted, really, in large, in large areas. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'll talk about the Tonali thing in, in, in just a second. But James, Newcastle now out of the Champions League, Manchester United now out of the Champions League. We we're talking about that, you know, yesterday today this could really damage that sort of fifth place Champions League spot we were looking at it yesterday I think um, Germany and Italy were ahead of England now in terms of teams that can potentially get that extra Champions League place it's quite a tricky one for Premier League teams where both of these teams have also finished bottom of their group yeah Crimea River Ayo uh, I mean <laughs> the richest league in the world by a factor of three is not going to get a, uh, a fifth Champions League place maybe yeah, I, I don't think you'll get much uh, sympathy on the continent because ultimately the Premier League is seen as a Super League. <sighs> One state wealth club has gone gone out, backed by Saudis. Other is through, current treble winners, uh, backed by Abu Dhabi and Man City. Some of the reaction that I got on social media last night was, you see, Serie uh, A, for example, is not that far off the Premier League. You know, last year, three teams in, in European finals. But I always look at this and I think, you follow the money. You know, that's the a simple method of investigation. And yes, you might have, for the first time in 10 years, only two Premier League teams in the knockout stage of the Champions League. But it's the first time in 10 years, right? This happens to other leagues on a more regular basis. It's an aberration uh, in some respects for the Premier League. And whilst it's maybe shocking in the short term, in the here and now, the reality is, is that in the mid to long term the wealth of the Premier League will undermine the competitive balance of the Champions League. And that's the biggest threat that UEFA is sleepwalking into. Um, this idea that their competition is all hunky-dory, when in actual fact, if, you are, if you've got teams from the Premier League, like, for example, Luton are not going to be in the Champions League, but let me make an example about Luton. If Luton finished 20th in the Premier League this year, they will make more from their TV rights than the top teams in Serie A, in the Bundesliga, in Liga. Um, it means that Brentford, for example, can go out in the summer and bid 42 million for Fiorentina's winger Nico Gonzalez, right? Brentford is a team that is supposedly moneyball team. We look for value. You know, we, we try and underpay for players and that sort of thing. 42 million offer for uh, Nico Gonzalez. So the Premier League's fine. I wouldn't worry about it. The rest of the continent is in a really difficult place. Chris, we, we talk about, and I think James makes a, a really good point there, you know, the Premier League pretty much looking like a Super League to European clubs. And talking about the people backing Newcastle now, I mean, how would they have, do you feel like they'd have deemed this exit from the Champions League? Was it an experiment, a foray? Uh, or do you think this is a real disappointment that, you know, on a financial level, not more money's coming in? Well, at Newcastle, you have to look at sort of, there's almost two different perceptions. There's the, both the 
domestic owners and in terms of the internal structure led by Dan Ashworth, the sporting director, Darren Eels, the CEO, and they very much see Newcastle as having essentially skipped several steps and been ahead of time. Last season, they'd budgeted to be in the top 10 and they finished fourth in the Premier League. The Champions League increased their budget this season, but they'd still budgeted both Europa League and, and, and being out of, of Europe. And it will affect their January business and business beyond because of FFP reasons. But they also, if you look beyond... Eddie Howe, Dan Ashworth, who are very realistic about how far, how far Newcastle have come and that really there was likely to be at, at some point a plateauing and maybe a stepping back as there has been. Newcastle United Saudi Arabian majority owners are very, very ambitious. They want Newcastle. They've gone on record to say that they want Newcastle to be number one. Yes, or remind the chairman who also is, is involved in Live Golf. Uh, he said on the documentary that Newcastle had Amazon Prime last season, we, the aim is to be number one. And so they don't see it as you can take a step back. And so it's hard to know how they will react going forward. That's going to be the big what if from now for Newcastle going forward. No matter what is felt internally, there is always going to be that question mark of what do the ownership think eventually? Does someone say to them, you know, Eddie Howe's not the right man we change? That categorically, in my opinion, should not be what happens and certainly is not what is, is thought of internally. But if Newcastle stutter over the course of the next few weeks, if they look like they're not going to get in the Champions League for next season, they get knocked out of the domestic cup competitions, then there will be that factor that we just don't know that suddenly something could change. And, and that is, I think, a little bit concerning going forward in that terms of potential for a lack of stability because Newcastle have been so stable since the takeover. They haven't done what everyone expected. They didn't do what Manchester City did. They didn't sign Robinho and all these other players. They have been so clever, so smart, so measured in a lot of what they've done. They signed the players that they needed. They've given controlled Eddie Howe. They've built that structure with the likes of Dan Ashworth and look to invest in infrastructure. But... That doesn't mean that something will change eventually. These, these, this ownership have, have taken con- charge of Newcastle because they want to take them to the very top. And I, I'm sure there will be a degree of impatience there, regardless of whether there's patience both among the fan base and internally inside the club. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Sandro Tonali, the Newcastle midfielder, will be banned for 10 months over breaches of rules on betting on matches in Italy. That's been confirmed by the head of the Italian Football Federation. Let's move on to uh, Sandro Tonali, a player missing for Newcastle, a very valuable player missing for Newcastle. And, you know, obviously the both teams met on the pitch, James, but actually there was, there was another meeting that sort of got people's ears twitching. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's customary on Champions League match days for executives to get together and, and go for, for lunch. So, I mean, this happened back in September before the first game at San Siro. They went for, for lunch at uh, a Michelin-starred restaurant in Milan, and it was Newcastle's turn to kind of return the hospitality um, this time around. So they they went to a restaurant uh, on the quayside in Newcastle, 
And yeah, I mean, it was the first time that executives had met and spoken even since uh, what happened to Sandro Tonali happened. Yeah, his implication in this investigation by public prosecutors in Turin into sort of illegal betting platforms, his betting on football, which has led to this uh, this ban. It's led to a lot of speculation uh, from Newcastle fans uh, as well as to what Milan knew. You know, from what we've reported, you know, Milan were not aware um, of this. Um, you know, they didn't sell him because of it. Um, yeah, it came as news to them as it came to, as news to Newcastle. But, you know, when we're talking about that Champions League experience that um, Newcastle lack, I think, you know, he was someone who they brought in. You know, still a young player, still a guy who only played two seasons in the Champions League, but was perhaps in a in a position to help them. And to be honest, I mean, watching Newcastle in the first hour last night, I can completely see why Newcastle look at Tenali and think he's the kind of player that we want playing for us because, you know, he is that kind of very athletic, physical uh, midfield player. So, yeah, it is a shame that, yeah, he'll miss the rest of the season. You know, he's also going to miss the Euros for Italy uh, whilst he, he serves this ban and undergo some therapy for what in Italy is called ludopatia, which is, you know, essentially a, a gambling addiction. I did see you was at the youth league game between Newcastle and Milan, just in the stands. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of those um, imprevisti. Sorry, Italian words come quicker to me. This is, I think not foreseen happening. Yeah, in the same vein, Chris. Any any, any Geordie words come to mind when we're talking about the the, the Tanali incident? <laughs> not one, not ones I can repeat on this podcast. I don't think. No. <laughs> but I mean, from your perspective. It, I mean, James has sort of alluded to it there, but is there any sort of strain between the two clubs, you reckon? Do you reckon there's a air of suspicion from a Newcastle standpoint to say, why, why didn't you tell us about this? I mean, he's a top player. We know that. And I know they did extensive scouting on him. I know Eddie Howe's a massive fan uh, of this player. But um, is there any sort of like, I think you've duped us a little bit here. Well, Newcastle have explored every single avenue to see whether that that could have been the case I mean James mentioned that there remains a lot of suspicion certainly among Newcastle's fan base as to well why would they have sold Tonali if if, if they hadn't known but Newcastle have gone back and looked at it and 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 people close to Tonali did seemingly didn't even know about this and so people at Milan they believe didn't know they, they've looked at it and, and, and they've explored whether they could have taken legal action and at the minute it doesn't look like they're going to because what, what would the legal action be if Milan didn't know then what, what what exactly would Newcastle expect to get back from it I mean Newcastle themselves have sort of looked into they've basically had an internal investigation as to, to look back at transfers to see how they conduct due diligence because they, they have extensive due diligence but they're like did we miss something here and, and basically Basically, their conclusion seems to have been that unless we can access financial records, which which you can't, it's it's illegal to do so. Unless unless you go and do that in, in every single check, or at least you hi- unless you hire a private investigator, they couldn't have known this situation. And so, it's a very unfortunate situation. I'm sure there's frustration bet- between them and Milan, but not in the case that they thought Milan knew. Just in case, because this it just hasn't worked out for them. Really, it's now that Newcastle are out of the Champions League, we can sort of look at the at the impact this has made. And I mean, first of all, I want to say obviously on Sandro Tonali himself he's going through what is a very difficult time for him personally he's fighting this this illness as, as his agent referred to and so it's, and for him not to play football the thing he loves for 10 months is, is a huge strain but for Newcastle United 
the impact on their season has been huge. As I mentioned, he was the he was one of the two main signings they made last summer. The one with the Champions League experience who was going to make the difference. Maybe if he'd been available, Newcastle would have got through, or certainly still be in the Europa League. Maybe in the Premier League there wouldn't be seven points off the top four as they are now. Maybe he would make the difference in the latter stages of the cup competitions that they're in domestically as well. Newcastle don't have that, and they've lacked players. Injuries have, have been compounded because of that, and so the, the negative effect of it is probably where frustration comes from but as far as Newcastle can tell and from all their own investigations they just don't think Milan did know and, and therefore I don't think it's it's a feeling that, that they were duped in that sense. Yeah just think about these kind of situations you've got a player now who can't play for so long I mean staying mentally strong and I think James has alluded to it there obviously that the therapy will help but you know footballers are they just want to play football especially when you're so young what kind of duty of care then uh, have Newcastle allowed him um, how are they allowing him to adjust to this quite unusual situation any better Chris well Newcastle it was a position they wanted to fill anyway but they've brought in a head of psychology and and, and he is working closely with Sandro Tonali who is also receiving personal therapy of his own accord and Newcastle thankfully he can train with Newcastle that was something they weren't sure of to begin with but he's he's able to acclimatise more to Tyneside to play with his teammates in that in that scenario which wasn't the case for the first part of Ivan Tony's suspension for betting in better circumstances at Brentford for example so that is that is one I suppose call it a positive but in a very negative situation but but a slight positive for him the concern Newcastle have though is that that he's, he's playing and training every week but he doesn't actually have the the, the ability to, to get rid of that adrenaline on a weekend that they want to play in matches and I think he find match days the most difficult he's sitting in the chairman's suite at St James's Park he can't go to certain parts of the stadium because of of the terms of his ban and I think that 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 disconnection is very difficult from so Newcastle are doing all they can from the ownership to Eddie Howe to all the players they're all rallying around uh, Sandra Tonali but they know that the longer it goes on the more difficult in some ways it'll become and they'll equally they'll be more light at the end of the tunnel because it becomes closer to the time that you'll be able to return so Newcastle are very focused on the duty of care they have no ill will towards Tonali they recognise the situation it's just a very sad situation and they haven't seen it in the way that they've gone and, 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 and seen it that he's duped them that this is just an unfortunate illness that, that he has and they want to work with them and they still believe he can be a huge player for them as James mentions he's still in his early to mid-20s he is a player they signed for the long term and albeit they wanted him this year they still see him as being part of their future very much so it's, it's interesting isn't it because we're used to our players spending this amount of time on the sidelines you know if they've torn an ACL if they've had a physical injury we often think about physical health over mental health when we should be considering them to be essentially the, the, the same thing and, uh, you know, I do think this 10-month period, if you can turn it into a positive, not only in terms of, uh, of, of working on, him, uh, on himself, but also working on his integration, you know, with, with not as much pressure, perhaps, as, as, you know, I have to think every three, get three days about my opponent, my fitness, how I'm going to play. I think this time where he can think about adapting to the new country, getting used to his surroundings, you know, he'll have more time. For, to, to, to learn those reference points, learn the language, get to know his teammates more. You know, I, I remember when he first moved to, to, to AC Milan from Brescia, that first year, even though he was moving within his own country, not far from where he grew up, not far from where he was playing, that took him, you know, he, he had an underwhelming first season at AC Milan. And then in the second season, fantastic, you know, part of their league winning team. And so, you know, I, I, I do think, 
it depends on the mindset in which you approach this, but I think this could be a positive way he comes back more at ease and better able to relate um, to the area, to his teammates, and, and that will make him a better performer. Obviously, um, gambling addiction is not something just just uh, an Italian thing. We've seen Alvin Tony here, um, we've seen several Premier League players um, have issues around that area. But I mean, you know, it's, it's in the news. There's been several Italian players who've also been caught gambling. Does this raise an air of suspicion then if the Premier League are now dealing with Italian clubs? Um, or is it just one of those things that people just overlook and just think this is an anomaly? I don't know, like uh, anything around that? I mean, you are allowed to gamble uh, in Italy, um, just not on the sport you're a professional in. And, you know, you shouldn't be using illegal platforms. You know, I mean, this this scandal was not, yeah, it's not an investigation into football. It was an investigation into these platforms. And it's just so happened that footballers have been caught up in it. You know, one of the, the concerns within within Syria was that the the person who broke these stories kept claiming um, that there were more names, there were tens of different names, and that this had the potential to engulf Serie A and Italian football in general. And uh, the momentum was really slowed in that. It's not to say that uh, it might suddenly escalate again, but for now, really, Tonali and uh, Nicolo Zaniolo, who um, did not bet on football and so is not banned, it's been limited um, there, really. Um, but, you know, I, I think... This kind of comes back to the, the, the point we were making about the wealth gap between the Premier League and the rest. You know, for example, if you, if you, again, one way to address Newcastle fans' suspicions is to say, you know, when they say, why would they sell Tenali? It's because, well, financially, Newcastle made them an offer that it's very difficult for a club like AC Milan to refuse. You've got to get it into your head that AC Milan are not playing in the City A, which was the richest league in the world in the 80s and 90s. It's an AC Milan that doesn't have Silvio Berlusconi sugar daddying the team. You know, it's a very different model where clubs on the continent these days have to think about considering offers for their best players. And, you know, if it, if it wasn't Tonali, it would have been somebody else. You know, if, if, some, if Newcastle hadn't been so quick and decisive in moving for Tonali, it could have been Mike Maignan, the goalkeeper, for example, who left um, in the summer. So player trading is a massive part of clubs' uh, operations all over the world, but particularly in clubs outside the Premier League where they need player trading in order to make money. So, I mean, if you look at, again at City A, the TV deal has gone backwards. That's a TV deal which is already three times less than, uh, than the Premier League's. This tax break that City A teams can benefit from over the last four years, that looks like it's going to be removed as well, which is going to make it uh, harder to appeal to players from abroad, which they can then maybe sell to the Premier League. So, for example, if you look at some of the Premier League players who've come from Chelsea, Pulisic, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, those have been bought to by AC Milan to, to make Milan stronger. But there's also going to be a time in the future, probably, where they can maybe sell them back to the Premier League um, for, for money. So there is a fear that Premier League clubs will look at Serie A and think, if I'm buying from there... Are they going to be these imprevisti, to use the, <laughs> the word I used before, these unknowns that no matter how much due diligence, due diligence we do, we, uh, we get surprised by something? That's not just about um, this betting case. You know, you look at, for example, what happened with uh, Tottenham's chief football officer, Fabio Paratici, who got banned and has had to, to resign from his position from, from Tottenham. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Chris, you talk about the ambitions of Newcastle. You know, you've got a player now who's not going to play for so long. And I know he's training, but that match fitness is a tough one. And Newcastle thinking about how they get him ready. So when the Premier League does start again, when he's allowed to play competitive football, that he sort of seamlessly gets back into the club. In, 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 in I don't know how they do it, but in a way which means that, you know, he's not having to play huge catch up. That's the plan, but I mean, Newcastle, it took them a little while to sort of get full clarification from FIFA as to exactly what Tonali could do in a set. They didn't know whether he could play in friendlies and the, and the, and the belief, the understanding they have at the moment is he can't, for example, if Newcastle have some mid-season friendlies during the, the, the January break or next summer pre-season friendlies, they don't expect Tonali to be able to play in those, but they want to organise some behind closed doors friendlies and think he will be able to play in those for when he comes back, which will be towards the end of next August. But what they're doing with you know, the 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 sad the disappointment for Eddie Howe is that he's seeing Tonali play every week and actually he's looking better than he has done before because it tends to take players a little bit of time to transition under Eddie Howe. You look at what happened with Anthony Gordon; it took him a while to understand exactly what was wanted. But you take in the fact that Tonali had gone to another league, a different country, had a lot to acclimatize. He, he said before the AC Milan away game, he admitted that he felt a little bit lost when he first came to Newcastle, and it's taken him a bit of time, both I think mentally and also in terms of that physical element of the Premier League. Well, Milan and Newcastle are very different vibes, man. Quite. <laughs> Although some of the Milan hierarchy I was speaking to, you know, they 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 enjoyed their their time in Newcastle. <laughs> So there you go. Great. Well, ho- hopefully Tonali now feels the same as well. But in that training, it's it, it, it's also because he, he is a lot fitter and sharper for what Newcastle want. But also Newcastle have been working with them. They've had, again, I, I say it's a positive, but it's a positive from a negative situation. Is because Tonali's had all this time, Newcastle have done extra specialist work with them. So he's been working with sprint specialists to sort of work on his movement and specific 
uh, movements Eddie Howe wants and his sort of pressing style and the way that Newcastle are going to do things. And, he, and he's worked technically with some of the coaches on what they expect with and want from him. So there is a hope that all of that will, will, will pay dividends. And if you, you only have to look at his debut against Aston Villa in, in the Premier League to see that he can make a huge impact in this league. Nobody can say for sure how this 10 months will affect him in terms of that they hope he's going to be coming back in prime condition, but it may take a bit of time for him to get fully up to speed just because that's a huge spell without football. Let's look ahead to January and FFP will always be the the, the big conversation, especially with the amount of spending that Newcastle have done so far. But more importantly, you know, with the player now, they haven't been able to play with for so long. What does it look like? Chris, from your perspective, um, are we looking more loan deals? Are they more and a better idea in the short term? Because Tonali is a is an imperative part of this team. Newcastle's transfer plans are very much in flux at the minute. When Tonali was initially suspended, the priority became we would like another midfielder. They would have ideally liked another one in the summer, but they decided against that partly because of. They, they believed in Lewis Miley, a 17-year-old who, who got an assist last night and you can see the impact he has made probably sooner than they anticipated. But ideally, they would still like another midfielder, particularly because they rely so heavily on Bruno Gimaraes. They don't win without Bruno Gimaraes. The bit, the, the, all the stats show that since he's come into the team, Newcastle haven't won a Premier League match without him. So that was the, that was the plan then, possibly a centre-back and possibly a forward as well. But the problem they've got at the moment is they've got so many injuries all over the pitch that unless they start to get more players back, Eddie Howe's used the term that they would be willing to be reactive in the market and look to, to sign players and elsewhere. So it may turn out that because of Lewis Miley's emergent, if, the, if all their other midfielders are fit, because they know Tenali is coming back in August, that, that also shapes what they're going to do. Because if they sign a midfielder, do they sign someone for six months, just for the second half of the season? Or do they sign someone they see as being part of the team going forward? They've got that that, that thought of Tonali coming back as a positive, but they don't want to sort of stunt his potential development. So someone they really like is Calvin Phillips at Manchester City. That He potentially may be available on an initial loan deal, whether it's with a, an option or ob, an, oblig, uh, an obligation to buy. Equally, a lot of other clubs like him as well, and that that's not a sort of, of done deal. And Newcastle may decide, actually, rather than commit resources there, we haven't got, for example, if, if, if they haven't got a right winger by January, we may say a right winger instead. So uh, Newcastle haven't got loads of money. I think they're going to do more than they intended to do, partly also because of Nick Pope's recent dislocated shoulder. They may have to go into the market there. Martin Dubravka has come in, and although Newcastle believe in him, he hasn't necessarily convinced so far. And also, they're only one injury away from having a bit of a crisis there despite having four senior goalkeepers in the Premier League squad so that is a very long way of saying Newcastle don't even know what they're going to do yet and and they're very much waiting and seeing but they do have FFP concerns and so they've got one Premier League loan slot still available because Lewis Hall's on a, on a loan with an obligation to buy but they could also use loans from the continent so I very much suspect that's primarily what they're going to do but they do have some wriggle room to be able to bring in permanent deals but not loads. James I want you to finish on, on positivity uh, on this uh, and, and I'm going to circle back to Tonali. Let's say he does come back and we've seen glimpses from his time at AC Milan. Do you see him as a midfielder that could really take the Premier League by storm? Do you see this as a, a, a fantastic signing to take Newcastle to the next level if they want to really keep pushing at that up, upward trajectory? Yeah, I do. I think... What people f- perceive Tonali to be is different from what he is. I mean, because he's this kid who had this kind of foppish hair, came through a Brescia, would occasionally score a free kick in the same way that Cristiano Ronaldo would occasionally score a free kick. There was always this association with him and Pirlo. And, you know, there are some nice touches 
to, to Tonali's game. But he's much more of a kind of athletic, aerobic kind of midfield player than that kind of silky ball playing. I'm just going to sit here and spray the ball all over the place. That's why I said when I saw Newcastle last night, and it was that kind of real kind of up and atom, throw yourself into tackles, win the ball, drive forward. That is Sandro Tonali to me. And that's why I think he just melds perfectly with what Newcastle want to do. So, you know, I do think he's he's still got a big part to play um, in, in Newcastle's future. And, you know, I'm sort of encouraged to hear about what they're doing around him, um, really, um, to help him through this uh, this time. Um, because certainly he is very, he's very highly regarded in Italy. And, uh, yeah, it's a shame that the last Euros, which Italy won, kind of came too soon for him. And the next one he's going to miss. Um, so, you know, Newcastle will have to help him get over that as well. And, uh, I mean, it does mean that he will not just have to focus on himself, but ex- focus exclusively on Newcastle, which, you know, I think is a good thing for those Geordie boys. <laughs> I'm just just imagine a, a Tonali with a sort of hybrid Geordie Italian accent at some point <laughs> in his next interviews. <laughs> it happens if he's, if he's there long enough and doing mix zone with Woffy, then. Uh, well, there there is an absolutely bizarre video of when he he signed that he did he did he did pronunciation with David Ginola. So fi- find that somewhere on YouTube if you can. Why hi man? I'm clamming for me bed. You're amazing. This is very important, Wayai Man. You're going to travel all around the country and the supporters and they're going to say, Wayai Man! <laughs> Let's end it there. Gents, absolute pleasure to have you on the pod, uh, James and Chris. And also remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.